hello welcome back if you've come back and welcome if this is the first time you're tuning into my podcast i'm caroline your host and this week we delved into true crime specifically why horrifying true crime stories are so interesting this episode was broken into four main parts one being one of the reasons why it's so interesting is that people can experience the horrific parts of mankind from a safe distance when they're engaging with true crime stories. Reason two is that the problem solving that is required to eventually bring the criminal criminal to justice is very complex. And I also delve into the impact of reading or enjoying murder mysteries on our mental health as an audience member and I finish off with my top four true crime recommendations. So I hope you enjoy as always listening to this episode as I enjoyed recording it and let's move to the life update. Okay I also want to preface this episode by saying I experienced a truly mortifying experience today with this episode. What happened was I finished recording and the recording was 80 minutes long. And as I was uploading it to Spotify, um, it didn't work because there was enough space on my laptop. So I did the like what made sense you just force quit your apps so that the disc or whatever isn't holding so much short-term memory and I also cleared my trash but in the process of force quitting the software that I was using it didn't save my recording and then for some reason the mp3 was in the trash so when I deleted the trash all traces of my recording was gone and I took a couple hours, I went on a walk, had dinner, recovered physically and emotionally from that whole experience, and I'm ready to start again. This episode was really fun to record, so I've, I really don't mind. I just feel horrified and embarrassed that this happened to me so early on in my podcasting journey. So that's one of my life updates. Also, secondly, I have discovered a new passion and that is picking books from the library. And this is different from actually reading them. I don't even get around to reading 70% of the books that I pick. So 50% of them I finish, 20% of them I start and then mostly with the non-fiction books, you get halfway and you already get the gist. Like you, you can already extract maybe at least two out of the three important messages of the book. So I, I lose interest. And then the rest of them just decorate my shelf until it's time for me to return all the books and then they go back. And to prevent this, because I don't want to have to lug so many books to my car from the library only not to read it, I implemented this new system, but it takes a long time to pick my books now and going to pick my books 
from the library now is like a whole event. It's no longer a quick stop. It will take one to two hours because the first hour is spent skimming through every shelf. If it's the nonfiction section, I go from like the start to the end of the Dewey Decimal System and I go to the fiction section and look straight from A to Z. Sometimes if I have time, I go into the large print section, but no, not not yesterday. And then I move to the CD section and pick a CD for my sister because she's got this really cute aesthetic CD play in her room. So she appreciates a, CD, a different CD every two or three weeks. This week it was Lover by Taylor Swift. I think it's called Lover. It's the CD but with the pink album cover. And then after the first hour, that's where I've looked at most of the books, I've read or at least skimmed all of the blurbs of the books that I've picked. I then take it to a table and read them. I read the blurb again and then if I like the blurb I put it in one pile um, and then if I don't like the blurb I put it into a different pile. Then the blurbs that I enjoyed uh, reading I will read the first chapter of all of the books and they get split into fiction pile and non-fiction pile. In the fiction pile it's always either a romance novel or a murder mystery and then in the non-fiction I have a bit more diversity. There are books about being a woman in the workforce, a career in medicine, books about financial literacy and yeah and like some other whatever interest that I have that week or that month. And then at the end, I make sure that I have an equal balance between the fiction and nonfiction. So if there's a significant, I always have more nonfiction book than fiction books. So I have to get rid of like two or three of the nonfiction books. So this whole ordeal takes a long time, but for me, I find it really cathartic and I think I'm going to be doing it more often. It's a really fun hobby, especially after a long day at the hospital. And maybe I've studied at the hospital, so I don't need to go home and study. I've got time, but not a lot of energy. Reading books and picking them out is really entertaining for me. And it's also like a low... Um, like it's not physically demanding not that any of my hobbies have ever been physically demanding besides Pilates but I think it's really great and if you like going to the library but you don't know how to pick good books I think that's a really good way it also doesn't skew your choices because you're not like looking online to see what books are popular you're just going straight off of um, like what you thought of the blurb I always think like there's no way you can tell if a book is good just by reading like good reviews I think you definitely have to look at the blurb and the first chapter so I picked a couple of books and I took them home and I just want to tell you about the books that I picked 
So, first of all, my favorite book so far. It's the only one that I've started reading, but I started it last night and I'm already more than 200 pages in. It's called Twice in a Blue Moon. It's the first love trope. Um, it's so innocent and exciting, but suddenly something happens that separates the lovers, right? So it's all about them finding each other again, but like falling in love with each other again. I hope they fall in love with each other again because they have a lot of chemistry. And I do want to give, like, I do want to congratulate the authors for writing it with so much, like, so extremely powerful language and passion. The chemistry between the characters is almost synonymous to the Bridgerton style of like the Bridgerton's um, TV series, but they've achieved the same effect with only words, without the lighting, music, or cinematic um, aspects, which I think is really cool. Also, it's written by two friends, so that elevates sort of the significance of the book a bit more, I reckon. So I totally recommend it, Twice in a Blue Moon by Christine Christina Lauren. Some other books that I picked were in the nonfiction section. I have Emotional Female. That one's a famous book that I never got around to reading. It's about a woman's experience as a plastic surgeon. And she's from the city that I live in as well. So I hope it'll give me a bit of an insight into medicine as a career in the city that I live in. Another book is Deep Work, another famous book that I just never got around to reading. This one focuses on productivity and learning to focus without distractions. And I'm very aware that there are so many caveats to this grind mindset, obsession with productivity. So I definitely have to read it with a grain of salt. But as a person who gets distracted quite easily with doing so many tasks at the same time or um yeah like I, I live in a world with a lot of distractions so I think this will be really good for me there's also how women decide this book explores an interesting concept that I've never thought of before um in the blurb it talks about why do some of the smartest women mislabel their rational decisions as quotation marks female intuition um, and I just don't know much about that. I think that's really interesting. And why is it that like this is something that is more likely to occur in women decide making decisions rather than men? And I want to find out. So I'm going to read that book. The two other nonfiction books are Stronger, written by a doctor in Australia who was in an accident, I believe, halfway through medical school and then graduated with quadriplegia, which means four limbs, four, all four of your limbs are paralyzed. And I believe he's the first ever intern in Queensland to graduate med school as a quadriplegic, which is um, super inspiring. And I'm also personally con connected to this story in a way that I'm going to this convention 
in two months time and he's going to be one of the speakers there so I want to get to know his story and read it about him before I meet him in June. The final book is The Herd. This one is really like unique. It's about Sweden's response to COVID-19, which was basically the polar opposite of all of the draconian style countries. Like they had no government restrictions, no order for face masks. And from that book, I want to know why did they do that? And were the outcomes better than the restrictions that we had in Australia? Because the restrictions in Australia were really bad. I remember at one point in time, you couldn't travel more than five kilometers radius from your own home. There were curfews. You couldn't be out of your house after a certain amount, a certain time. So I want to see if the Australian response, like the sacrifices that were made were worth it compared to a country that made no sacrifices. The two other books that I got that are fiction is one is The 22 Murders of Madison May. I picked this book, but I have no idea what's inside it. I didn't even bother reading the first chapter. I just knew I needed it because the testimonies in the back were so desperate for people to read it. So the testimonies in the back, um, where the blurb is normally, there was no blurb. The blurb was on the inside cover and on the outside two authors like wrote you know like why you should read this book and one of the testimonies was once his story grabs hold you will forget to eat sleep and bathe until you're left with the world's worst book hangover and then the other person wrote it's frenetic and funny and gut-wrenching by turns and i absolutely could not put it down you need to read this book do it do it now so I was sold. There's no need for me to read the book, the, the blurb or the first chapter. That's all I needed to know. And the final book, this one is a lot more relevant to this episode. It's called The Schoolgirl Strangler and it details a crime that happened in the city that I live in. So I immediately picked this one because most of the crime stories that I read or listen to take place in the United States, sometimes in Canada, but not often in Australia. So I'm interested to like recognize some of the street names if they reference them or understand the underlying context if they refer to any cultural references. Before we move on to the main body of this episode, I want to make a disclaimer that I am not a psychiatrist and therefore the speculations that I make in this episode are merely speculations from an enthusiastic consumer of thrilling crime stories. And this is just me making an effort to understand why I consume the media that I do, being true crime. I do make references to research done by psychiatrists or statements written by authors but um like the rest of it is just from my speculation and 
my understanding of how I react to true crime stories and this might not necessarily be how you react if you also love true crime. I do reference the psyche of serial killers and criminals um, with no experience of being a criminal so this is just my understanding from loving true crime. We're going to delve into the first reason being that people want to learn about the horrors of the world outside of their own lives but from a safe distance and so that the alternative to being in that situation and experiencing it would be to read about it or to watch documentaries about it and I think this is one a really reasonable logical explanation to the psychological factors associated with being interested in true crime. So when I'm listening to a cold case episode on my on Spotify, I get an insight into why some people act the way that they do. And authors know this. Um, authors such as Colton Scrivener, who's who makes a lot of comments about um, like the consumers of true crime, uses this knowledge to captivate their audience further. The reason why I believe that we care about the lives of other people, or why we want to understand the actions of other people, is it inherently affects us because we want to see if we would have sort of the psychological thought process or capacity to commit sort of these terrible crimes. Not to say that people who enjoy listening to true crime would become the criminals themselves, but I think it allows us to explore a side of humanity that is extremely dark but from a safe distance. What this means is in our normal day-to-day lives we might experience situations that make us sad or evoke anger but when we examine these darker sides of humanity accompanied by the fact that as human we're also drawn to the adrenaline of fear we can do so from a safe distance when we're consuming true crime in that we vicariously experience these extreme situations which may be extremely violent extremely horrifying and would evoke very physical and emotional responses but you can choose when and how you delve into these stories and obviously with the privilege that the victims wouldn't have because we're doing it from a distance and we're doing it as an observer. We see the same technique of exploring adrenaline, exploring extreme sadness, extreme evil, extreme horror 
um, in a safe and contained space through other activities like when people watch horror movies it doesn't mean that the people in the audience are more likely to commit those crimes but they experience the fear the adrenaline and like learn about the whole crime scene um, but from a safe distance same with sad films you can exp- you can cry when you watch a sad film but it doesn't have to be about a sad event that happened to you and roller coasters people get on knowing that they're going to feel scared on the roller coaster but they do so because we are adrenaline seeking creatures another thing i really love about the fact that there are so many mediums to consume true crime is that I can pick something that is perfect for like my own tastes. What I mean is I hate the sight of blood and gory crime scenes. And this surprises me because I am so used to blood. I see it really often. I'm in theater and if I scrub in, I am standing next to the surgeon. So I see a lot of blood Um, but this blood doesn't come from violence therefore isn't emotionally connected or doesn't have severe negative connotations associated with it so it's fine but when there's blood as a result of a severely violent fight or murder scene then I cannot I can't watch it and so like I would not be able to enjoy and I have never enjoyed any horror movie that I've seen. I saw Scream and I hated it. I hated it so much. I hated it to the point where I can't even remember any of the plot because my brain has just immediate my brain immediately deleted it from my mind. Like I know I saw the movie, but I don't even remember if I saw it in the cinema or who I saw it with I definitely didn't watch it alone and I or like if I watched it in my room on Netflix um and also like the plot of Screams is not that great in my opinion I don't know if this is already a popular opinion but there was no story or um like complex not even complex like there was just no engagement with like the character's emotional history I feel like anyway with true crime podcasts I'm able to achieve all the things that we talk about so learn about a world someone's world that is so completely completely different to mine learn about the horrors of mankind or humanity but choose to tune out whenever I need to or um, yeah tune out whenever I need to and not see like the physical imagery associated with horror movies another wonderful part or another reason rather of why I think true crime stories are so interesting is a lot of tension is released when the mystery is solved at the end and like any story sometimes you crave for this the the resolution because it 
makes you feel at peace and it also further perpetuates the feelings of being safe from the crime that is taking place um, as we discussed earlier so from my reflections of this point and this reason I think that as humans we're interested in experiencing the lives of others that are different from our own and when you read a romance romance novel we get to experience the electric romantic attraction between two characters and we experience something else but sort of to the same degree when we in uh, when we enjoy true crime we delve into another aspect of the human psyche one that would not normally be nurtured in our own spirits and we explore the horrors of humanity from a distance that is safe enough to allow us to understand human emotions but to not actually put us in the physical and psychological danger. The second reason is problem solving. There is so much problem solving in detective work of course um, but I love the eureka moments and I think as someone who like loves listening to stories I get a bit of a high from finding out like what happened when, when they resolve it who did it how did they do it how did they get away with it for so long but how were they outsmarted by the detectives and normally with people who get away with their crimes for so long it's because they have to be smart right they have to have maybe been in that story with the firefighter who lit like buildings like who committed what's it called where you commit crimes by lighting things on fire such as a i think arson who committed arson only to come and solve those fires right like he's got to be extremely experienced with how to start a fire without leaving any traces and for him to get away with it for so many years so i just think like i i think it's really interesting watching how these incredibly smart people get away with their crimes but more satisfying is how the smarter detectives are still able to catch them and identify them even if it took more like more than 20 or 30 years to do it and the reason why this problem solving aspect of this genre is so captivating is I think all humans share a common psychological trait which is morbid curiosity. We have a natural desire that we feed when we solve these puzzles and mysteries and arguably one of the greatest mysteries of humanity and the human mind is why do we think the way that we do? This question isn't just limited to true crime though we see it in careers as well for example the study of economics involves the study of human behavior 
So does psychology, obviously, but also other human sciences like history. We learn what happened, but why? Why did people act that way? And can we do anything to prevent it in the future? So it's not just true crime enthusiasts. I think the curiosity for the human mind has always taken place. But in true crime specifically, we're curious about what drives people to do the unthinkable. Some other thoughts that, or some other questions I have that haven't, I feel like I haven't been able to answer, but I hope that I do at some point, is are these thoughts, or like, yeah, are the thoughts that lead, lead a criminal to commit a crime, are they human? Or human meaning, do all humans have capacity for this level of evil or are they born with it? And then this takes us to the nature versus nurture debate. Nature being, are some people born with it and others aren't? That's why people are. It seems very pessimistic, but are people destined to be criminals as soon as they are born? just because they are born with these tendencies? Is it genetic? Or is it nurture? Are some people more likely to be perpetrators of crime due to a really turbulent upbringing, surrounded by or possibly victims as victims of violence and subject to extremely emotionally unavailable parents? In that case, could we take someone, a child, with these tendencies, put them in a different environment and reverse or mitigate any of the possibilities of them being a criminal? What possesses a human to commit a crime? And what would the crime look like? And what are the consequences for these people? I think those really broad and complex questions are what makes true crime stories so intriguing so entertaining and this is why I think this genre as a whole does so well in movies podcasts and books I'm also going to be breaking down the three parts to a true crime story because each of them are distinct from each other despite being part of the same crime they're distinct to each other therefore they appeal to different groups of people and I specifically only sort of like two out of the three types so I'm going to explore that as well so the first one is Understanding the psyche or the psychology behind a serial killer or a criminal. So these stories learn about what we talked about before. Their childhood, their upbringing and anything in their life before they, before they committed this crime that could have psychologically scarred them. 
and delving into these stories as observers allows us to get a good insight into their minds and sometimes I'm, I haven't decided if this is a good thing or not probably but it also allows us to be a tiny bit compassionate for these terrible people because we can see that maybe they are victims of their own mind and their own environment of their upbringing and that even if they did something evil or perpetuated very evil thoughts this is probably not entirely their fault these stories are so interesting because we learn why are they so why do they lack so much compassion and then you find out that they've experienced so much trauma as a child to the degree that to the point where they're emotionally jaded or why do they commit these these crimes and one case it was this person who didn't receive attention from their parents as a child so even though they were aging physically they weren't able to grow psychologically because they had this deficit of not receiving any attention from their parents so that when they became adults they sought this attention somewhere else and before it as children right we seek for attention in the form of appraisal approval pride but as adults I assume if you're not if you've got those deficiencies you your threshold or your your um, standards for this attention decrease so it's no longer appraisal and approval but any attention is fine even if it's bad and that's why you've got crimes that take place where they don't do it for the ransom or they don't do it because they have hatred for the victim or resentment it's just that they want they want attention from the public from the media they want to be marveled at for their intelligence or they want they want to experience the power of having entire communities or even countries be terrified of them the second part is the crime how it happened and I ask a lot of questions or I explain I want specific questions answered when I listen to stories when I get when it gets to the crime right so things like had the victim and the perpetrator met before were they strangers or were they at least acquaintances because if they have interacted before was this a calculated move did the killer survey the victim's routine and then pounced at the opportunity or was the victim just caught helpless in the situation merely by chance and this wasn't because of this victim in particular if this victim wasn't there at that time 
that another victim, another person would have been the victim. It's both of the situations are extremely terrible and I can't I don't really know which one is is better. I feel like they're both terrible in their own ways. Um, another aspect is was the victim physically via disability or psychologically via a cognitive issue vulnerable at the time? And was that the reason why they were the victim? And what, yeah, was the criminal aware of this and took advantage of their vulnerability? I dove into this a bit later, but these questions and the answers to these questions can really impact the psychological well-being of the audience. If not well-being, then it can severely change their perceptions of fear and crime. So tune into that for a little in a little bit. The final section of a true crime story is how justice takes place in the courtroom. How did the criminal plead in court? Did they look remorseful? Were they remorseful? And if the victim's family wanted to, did they get a chance to present a monologue to the criminal? Same with the victim. If they survived, did they get a chance to show the criminal how severely they impacted their life and emotionally scarred them for life? These, this part of true crime, I can see it as super satisfying because we want to see the criminal be held accountable for their horrific actions and it's all part of the resolution sometimes in a case there can be so much chaos and no progress for a really long time for example there are stories where the detectives initially get a lot of tips from the community because everyone is just emotionally distraught by this crime But then over time, people move on or people heal, people try to get closure in their own way and they're no longer thinking about the crime. And when crimes are no longer at the forefront of people's minds and they aren't really thinking of anything anymore about the crime, then less tips come in and then it's less likely to be solved. Sometimes the crime happens before the, the discovery of the use of DNA testing to match samples from the crime scene with the DNA samples of criminals. So they might have a swab, but they can't test it. And in my opinion, the most interesting complexity of a case is when everyone knows who did it, and even the detectives have a hunch but they don't have enough evidence the problem isn't in that case it's not who did it but bringing that person to justice maybe this person the person who committed the crime was in a gang and I don't know much about gangs or the the hierarchical structures but I'm sure there's a hierarchy 
and sometimes people who might have witnessed the 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 crime be terrified to speak up about it because that might put them at risk of death or might put their family at risk so in those cases it's not about um finding who did it but trying to overcome those social obstacles to bring that person to justice but when things eventually fall into place and justice is served then i can see why that can be very cathartic i personally don't really engage with those stories or like listen to them or read them i think it's important that these people are held accountable but for me i care more about the fact that justice was served and if it wasn't i care about feeling compassionate and grieving for the victim and their family i don't really have a bit of have much interest in like what was said in the court so court case or what arguments the defendant's lawyer presented but i can see how it's interesting especially with anyone with a humanities or law background to be interested in what case the defendant's lawyer possibly um could possibly present in crimes where it is so obvious that the person that they're defending is guilty it's also important that we show these or we like retell these stories because most of the time for specific demographics of people they're falsely accused and so it's important that there is a devil's advocate to give the person who's being falsely accused the benefit of the doubt but these these stories aren't as interesting for me just because i care more about the mind of the criminal and the crime itself rather than the flaws of the judicial system which i'm sure is interesting for other people so for me i think the appeal of problem solving in true crime is i know that as a an average civilian and i would not be able to solve any of these crimes but when i'm listening to these stories it's like i'm solving the case but with the experience of a seasoned detective in my brain and that's exhilarating it also makes me feel a bit like a detective and as a person who loves problem solving it can it really tailors to my interests the third point of the body of this episode is something a little bit deeper a bit more complex than what we've talked about so far given that the first two points were reasons i want to explore the impact of consuming murder mysteries on our mental health as a reader or an audience member study a study in 2010 by the University of Illinois showed that true crime stories are particularly popular with women which might link to their fear of being victimized as a result 
they may be more likely to consume content about crime because it provides people with a feeling of control and knowledge about an inherently uncertain and often anxiety-provoking world. And I really resonate with this, and I agree. Sometimes we want to know what's out there, and being in the know makes us subconsciously feel safe. And this is something that is in an inherent part of being human. Humans are designed to pay particular attention to certain features. It's what we did to keep us alive. And this helps us learn patterns, gather information, and protect ourselves. I notice this because I am much more alert than I was in the past, and of my surroundings, that is, and I treat some of the stories that I listen to as cautionary tales, which makes me lock my car door as soon as I get in, or be more alert if I'm walking at night. But there's a huge caveat to this, of course. The concern is that it perpetuates this perception that this person is more likely to become a victim of crime than may be statistically true. This is, I'm sure there's like a psychological term for it, but it's like exposure bias or something, where something that you see more frequently, this might be like the news or from true crime stories is going to be at the forefront of your mind compared to just hearing from somewhere else, right? So in conjunction with the exacerbated fear of crime, the lack of knowledge of real crime statistics and the overconsumption of this type of media The problem is that some people may start feeling fear when they travel anywhere alone or when they're doing any necessary activities that aren't inherently risky. This is so harmful because it's not a good thing to make people feel fear in their daily lives, especially when that fear doesn't keep them safe. Also in these stories, I noticed that most of the time the serial killer is a stranger but in reality they're usually partners oh not the serial killers like just killers are usually partners friends family members or acquaintances so we have to be extremely aware of how this may be negatively impacting our sense of security in a way that does not protect us it only adds anxiety into our lives. Another point that is extremely relevant, not only to this podcast episode, but also to our generation, is we need to be careful that we are not subject to the same biases or stereotypes that producers of the movies that we watch or the podcasts that we listen to have. For example, in the context of crime and the retelling of criminal cases, there are biases that people of color and men are more likely to commit crimes than Caucasian people or women. And these myths might have held in the past, but they are extremely damaging and people are becoming a lot more aware of the the direct harms of 
having these social stereotypes. So it's important when you pick a sh- uh, like a show or when you pick a documentary that it is as free from these biases as possible. In one of the podcasts that I recommend later in this show, they do they take a lot of effort to do this. The killer or the criminal is not always a man and is not not always a person of color and then vice versa for the victim they're not always a woman um, and more importantly they also shed light on a range of crimes ranging from I won't go into it but a range of crimes uh, with a range of severity and they also shed light onto crimes against people from the LGBT community where I feel like from what I've seen so far in the media there's not a lot of attention and light cast upon these crimes against these communities and because of this it can cause bias in us as consumers So I thought I'd add that in because that's really important. Diversity is super important, of course. In summary of this section, the mental health section, I think that we live in an era of overconsumption. And this is not groundbreaking or new at all. This this is not a hot take. Um, This has been around for a while. We are extremely materialistic as a society Um, we consume a lot of material goods but this also means we consume a lot of information because we have access to so much information and it's important that when we watch movies or when we read books we should have a grasp and if not a grasp then some idea of how the shows or the content that we are consuming impacts us psychologically a way to do this is giving yourself time, some time after watching a movie or reading a book to digest it, to let the character sink, sink in a bit or just to let yourself ponder a bit, maybe passively if not actively, um, ponder about the plot and what you thought of the storyline or the motifs, motifs of the book or the story even though that's important and I try to do this as much as I can it's totally fine when people don't do this I would not have the patience to sit down and write a little mental report of my feelings towards all the characters of every show that I've watched and that's just on me as well like I think it definitely reduces the possible impact that the show could have so for example with k-dramas sometimes it takes you through in a bildungsroman kind of way like it starts with a character who who might be five and then ends with a character in their 30s right so so over the course of say 10 or 16 16 episodes we sort of grow up with this character but then if you watch it in a whole day 
you don't really have a lot of time to sort of reflect on the progress of the plot. You don't have time to interact with the characters in your mind away from the screen between episodes because you're watching them all at once. So sometimes I think it's totally fine when we watch um, shows mindlessly and I do this all the time. But with these cold cases, I try to think of, like give give them a little bit, give myself a bit of a time, um, sometimes a week between episodes, just so that I can slow down and think about how this episode has impacted any beliefs that I have, if they've consolidated or removed any of my um, my own beliefs. Okay, now my top four true crime recommendations. One, my ultimate favorite of all time, and I still listen to them, is Cold Cases from Parcast on Spotify. This is a podcast. Most of them are unsolved, and that's of course unsatisfying because you don't get the reassurance of the fact that the victim received justice, but often, and the more interesting cases are where they are cold for 20 to 30 years. Cold meaning no progress is made, so the file just sits untouched for a while. Um, and it might be cold because, as we said, like they just didn't have the technology for PCR for DNA. PCR is what they use to replicate the DNA so that they can test it or what, um, test if the DNA of the the sample from the crime scene matches the criminal. Um, and one of the interesting cases is one of their interesting cases actually from Cold Case was a crime that took place and they took a DNA sample from the from the site and just they didn't they like they couldn't do anything with it so they just le- kept it but then decades later they ran that DNA sample against their own database and you may be wondering like how would they have a database of DNA well, I don't think they can use Ancestry.com because I think that's illegal in some countries. But what they did is they just ran it against the database of like part, people with past convictions. Um, and they found out that that DNA was a match with one of the criminals in their system. And that's how they solved one of the long um, dormant cases in before um, where the crime was committed before DNA cross-matching technology was developed but solved afterwards. Sometimes they remain cold for 20 to 30 years because it takes a generation later for a new detective to come into the picture with fresh eyes to look at the case again. An interesting case was when a detective heard about the crime when it happened but they were in training and then only after they got out of the training program they saw another crime and then the similarity of this crime casted their mind back to the first crime and then they found out that these crimes are so similar because it was 
it was created not created what is it perpetrated it was caused this crime was you can't say a crime is not caused by a criminal what was it anyway this crime was caused by the same criminal and they used that and they went to their system and found out that they could solve so many cold cases in one go because they were committed by the same person oh committed the word is committed not caused um committed so cold cases is my top number one recommendation second is actually not a true crime um story it's a fiction book it's titled before she disappeared by lisa gardner the reason why this is on my list is this was a great read what happens is it's written not from the perspective of an omniscient narrator which is the case for cold case it's written from the perspective of a woman who is involved in it she but she's not directly involved in it like she's not the family member or the criminal she's just an observer who spends her life solving crimes but she's not a detective she's just got the skills got the time and is curious so the advantage that she has over a detective with the right training is that she has great social skills and she's really intelligent and she helps family members and the community because she's good at talking to them she helps them feel safe so they open up to her and she thinks a bit outside of the box so she has she has like a skill with asking questions so that she has access to information that the police didn't think to ask so when she arrives in this new city she's able to create a lot of progress when the detective was did the detective like wasn't able to achieve that type of progress and a bonus is there's also a short love plot between her and the detective but written from her perspective which is fun i think this book is so good as well compared to true crime like why fiction crime may succeed over true crime is the writer is not limited by the borders or the boundaries of the fact that it had to be true with cold cases they do a lot of research and they fact check so the amazing part of it is like wow the fact that this happened in real life is extremely tragic and it's it's extremely interesting with fiction it's all from the mind of the author my last two recommendations one this one i believe is discontinued it's buzzfeed unsolved uh, which is quite famous the two commentators have extremely unique personalities but they work well together because they're friends and this that's what made the show so successful because the story was good but you get to know the two narrators really well and then because it's buzzfeed unsolved of course they don't have an answer so you don't get the cathartic moment of going oh so that's who did it or that's how it happened but there's a different effect when you're left in the unknown and they also like chip in with what they think happened 
so sometimes they might agree like oh yeah we agree like out of all the people that we've considered we agree that this person was most likely to have committed the crimes because they have these um, these motives and these means to do it but sometimes they disagree and it's interesting to watch them sort of argue over who they think would have done it and their humor and their their really bright personalities really juxtaposes the the seriousness of the story so i think that's like a cinematic masterpiece not gonna lie it's on youtube the fourth one is another podcast serial killers from podcast on spotify it's very similar to cold cases the difference being cold cases emphasizes on the second part of the crime in the three steps to crime true crime that i discussed which was the actual crime serial killers delves into the mind and the lives of the serial killer before they committed the crime so it's a lot more psychologically and emotionally complex therefore significantly more psychologically and emotionally taxing so those are my four recommendations i really enjoyed true crime as you can probably tell by the fact that i'm able to talk about it for hours um and i hope that this episode for someone else who enjoys true crime was like we were able to relate to some of the things that we might have in common about why we like true crime but also if you have never listened to a cold case episode in the past or you've never enjoyed or delved into true crime as a genre i definitely recommend it it's not for everyone but for the people that it does cater to i think it is really interesting lastly i want to give my special thanks to two of the articles that were extremely helpful in my research for this episode one being jennifer schmidt peterson's article titled why are we so obsessed with true crime written based off of her academic background in psychology and criminology as well as mckenna princing's article titled why do we love true crime written from her background in uw medicine thank you so much for tuning in this week i'll see you next time